0: Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney.
1: This is Matt Bomer.
0: This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis.
1: This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson.
0: This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia
1: Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine.
0: A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts So if you love the show, please donate. Hey everyone, I'm recording this while walking down a street in Brooklyn, New York, on a hot summer night, and I am just so thrilled that I can share part two of my conversation with the extraordinary designer, David Corins. In this episode, we talk about Dear Evan Hansen and Hamilton in great depth and how those sets came to be and how he found himself in the room where it happens with the cabinet that makes up the creative team of Hamilton, and it is not lost on David at how fortunate he is to be a part of what is the Hamilton legacy, and it is not lost on me how fortunate I am to have this in-depth, incredible conversation with this truly extraordinary person and designer. So, enjoy part two of David Corin's. I'm looking for a minor work.
1: When I got to Williamstown, I had no idea. As I said, I didn't really know anything about scenography. There were these two books. I know I said it books because no one reads them anymore. That were called American Set Design 1 and American Set Design 2.
0: Those are good titles.
1: I mean, you what know a what? They, they what nailed it because guess what it was about? Oh. <laughs> um. uh, and in the first uh, book were, you know, what I, for when I was coming up, kind of the old guard. It was Ming Jolie, it was Ralph Funicello, it was Tony Walton. It was a kind of group of grandmasters. And there were some sketches. There were some interviews with these gentlemen and a couple of ladies. There were no other real resources. There wasn't Google. So you sort of were like, wow, here's a book of 12 profiles mm-hmm. in which they talked about some seminal productions that they worked on, some collaborators, some process stuff. And you could see some people have models. Some have Some were beautiful artisans. Some could really draw. Some could paint. Um, you had some production shots and that was pretty interesting. I had never seen those books and I studied those books. And then American Set Design 2 came mm-hmm. out and it was a the sequel. Uh, yeah, the sequel and it was like a whole group of twelve younger people. Who
0: were some of John Napier,
1: who did, you know, all the big kind of British musicals, Cats, and um, John Lee Beatty. There was a group of, like, people who are still now, I don't know, maybe they're, like, in their 70s. Like Santo,
0: like, Santo that generation. For sure. Yeah. And
1: Santo was one of them in the book. Yeah. And, it, and, and now it's like, oh, some of those guys show up at Williamstown Theater Festival. So mm-hmm. I'm reading the book and then, you know, and I actually have a I have someone who I remember assisting one of them and I said, I got to go, I have to go, I have to go. I'm like, i got to go talk to a Broadway set designer. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, it was a big deal. These people were in a book and I could see their work and they had like real gravitas mm-hmm. so then there was the guard beneath them which were the neil patels the alan moyers the eric mclean's who were really truly like you know in their 40s and getting it done like you know six or seven years out of grad school when i was an intern you know working all over the country in the world doing the stuff and broadway productions and you know we would think oh gosh if they did an american set design three here are the yeah, you know the twelve next now. volume now yeah. and so I learned a lot just about process, but I learned a lot also like at the coffee shop with these guys um and these women who I would assist um through Williamstown and I wound up assisting most of them. Um, Is that how
0: you first started professionally?
1: Well, as Derek McLean would say, I wasn't a great assistant. Okay. I wasn't a great studio assistant, meaning my skill set of drafting and building models wasn't amazing. But I was a really, really, really great in-the-theater assistant because I could get the shows up. And I could talk to the scene shops. I could talk to the painters. And I could, like, really uh, be a trusted deputy to make sure work calls and things got done.
0: Right. And to communicate the designer's totally. desires.
1: Yeah. And and um, so I did start assisting and Jim Noon, who did Jekyll and Hyde and many other shows, was a person who I had assisted several years at Williamstown and had really proven that I could come through in a crisis. Mm-hmm. He said, when I finally moved to New York, you know, will you come work in my studio? And I think he gave me 500 bucks a week and the first thing I did was assemble by hand, not screw gun. I'm talking manual screwdriver. All of his office furniture, and it was like an Indian summer. <laughs> From Ikea. It was so hot, <laughs> and uh, I think it was Office Depot. But it was a. It was but not the fun. other thing that yeah. I did was I assisted him on um, fully committed the original production, uh, and he knew I could paint and he knew I could build, and he said. Uh, will you do the paint elevations based on this Francis Bacon painting? And I did. And then he asked me to, like, paint the show, which was totally not something I thought I would do. And Nikki Martin uh, was the director and became a dear friend and longtime collaborator. He came up through Williamstown as well. Yeah. And he, Nikki, also knew I could put shows up, and Nikki hired me frequently mm-hmm. and gave me many of my first big jobs. And, uh, you know, the thing about working with Jim was... At the end of every day, even though I had a full-time job, he would say to me, "You want to come in tomorrow?" You know, like it, he would open up the door for me to leave. Because there's
0: always more furniture to put. Well,
1: together. you know, he.
0: That's so sweet, though. What? What? It was what sweet. Is That you like, know what, what?
1: You know what? I think it was. I think he respected the fact that he thought I was going to be a designer. And um, it's funny. He had a full-time lead associate who went to NYU, got a master's, and was like a hot shot. And it was just the two of us. And I remember I was like 20 nothing years old and Jim left the studio and I said to this guy, so when are you going to open your own studio? And he looked at me. I was a child. Mm -hmm. He looked at me and was like, how dare you? I have a terminal degree. I'm one of the best people that, you know, that does what we do in this industry. And like this is a self-actualizing. I don't need to go. And I... I didn't I didn't know because I thought, oh, what you do is you're an assistant, then you're an associate, then you're a designer, steps. and then you, yeah. I had no idea. And in that moment I was like, oh my God, Jim is only as good as this guy and I are. Right. And that was a profound lesson to learn. And Jim also in every single meeting would say, would introduce me as this is David Correns. he's a young designer that I work with. Really? Not nice. here's my assistant. Yeah. And I try and do the same thing. Um, I really took that with me. And as I built my studio one person at a time and one show at a time, I've thought a lot about that because I have an associate who's been with me for 21 years as of last Monday. And um, I couldn't do what I do without these guys. I mean, no chance.
0: How big a team do you have at this point?
1: I think we're now, you know, today we might be 20, Mm -hmm. Um, but we're not all designers. Some of us are um, crafts. People, illustrators, model makers and fabricators, some administrative folks, some project managers, some associates.
0: Well, I'm going to fast forward because the bio I read and listeners should know David was – basically hiding under the table, trying not to listen. He was very shy and embarrassed about hearing his credits, which is incredibly charming.
1: I'm getting shy and embarrassed just talking just about Just talking me about, the the about the reading of the
0: bio. bio. <laughs> uh, you know, the, you have a tremendous Broadway resume at this point, and then you have, like, a tremendous life resume of projects that don't involve the theater at all. Yeah. And you have a studio, yeah. which sounds like it started about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about sort of how this passion Rippled and kind of created, you know, these circles that got larger and larger and more encompassing of all sorts of things. I have two things that I find really incredible to me, having seen almost everything that you've designed. Wow. Which is to say that I cannot point to, and I think this is remarkable when we talk about vocabulary or your language of design. You know, Dear Evan Hansen takes place basically in 2017, Mm -hmm. and Hamilton takes place in 1776 and other years, and we time travel a little bit in both those plays Mm -hmm. over time. That's an extraordinary thing for you, you know, as a, you don't seem schizophrenic, to live in such different time periods where, you know, one is like as you said, wood and steel and beams and the other is all technology and beautiful, you know, kind of intense lighting. And I mean, it's so crazy to me that both of those things happened at the same time and both came out of you. And that Michael Greif and Tommy Kale, who were working in such different worlds, both wanted you, right? Like that your reputation that precedes you is whatever it is he will tell your story I've well heard that's you... nice that
1: made my hair no. stand up cuz well, that's actually a be- like beautiful i mean that's what that's sort of the brass ring right that yes. you want that
0: yes as opposed to okay it's a high tech show right. so we're going to get david corns cuz he does like this really cool modern stuff or like oh if you want something that takes you back in time that's amazing thank you and that's not true for everyone right And Kanye West calls you too, and so does Mariah Carey, and and so do operas. Right. So there's a handful of people who kind of live in all those worlds at the same time. And I don't know if there's like a way to be concise about how that journey happened, but how did that journey happen? Well, I think
1: that people think with um, Hamilton, oh, now that you did Hamilton, you're doing all sorts of other stuff. And the truth is... I've been doing other stuff since the very beginning. Yeah. I've been doing furniture design and interior design okay. and all sorts of things. And I've had no damn business doing any of those things for as long as I've been doing them. I had no business doing uh, production design for a feature film, you know, two years. Before into... you
0: had done a film. I didn't even yeah.
1: know what the difference between an art director and a production designer was. I learned what it was, but I had right. no idea what the difference was when I got hired to do it. Um, do you know so, what a Foley artist is? Of course. Famously. <laughs> 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 Um, anyway no i never heard of it what do you mean uh that better not be an outtake we both were fired we Uh, both
0: got fired from life in that moment they were uh, with us and then they were like either
1: that i mean good thing you know that would be a meme right except there's no such thing as an audio meme
0: there is now my friend it's the name of my second album, Audio right. Meme. It's my memoir. Um, it's a Maze Balls.
1: Oh all right, go on. It's Balls. So, yes. That's mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I've been doing all these things for a really long time. And I think what happened was if you can think about things holistically and you're a hardworking collaborator and you really do try and serve the thing, uh, the, whatever the piece is, the best possible way. First of all, Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen shouldn't look alike. Right. That's right. sort of like the, the, the point. I would agree if, with that. I mean, and listen, Frank Gary, who's an absolute genius, when you see a Frank Gary building, you know it's a Frank Gary That's building. Right. And I think when you hire him, you hire him because you want a Frank Gary and building. And I
0: am hiring him.
1: God bless you.
0: He's going to do this podcast. <laughs> Me <studio>. too.
1: <laughs> Careful of those panels. Careful of those um, panels that fall. So, panels. so I think that, you know, They should look differently, and I feel honored that people would come to me and think, oh, he's got the capability to see that and know that and then, you know, reach into your brain or my brain and come up with something that feels representative of the world of the show. You know, I realized I actually weirdly had an aha moment when I was 20 years old driving a car through a recently rained on parking lot and I hit a puddle. And the puddle splashed up, crazy water under the car. And in that moment, I thought, everything in the world needs to be designed, including the drainage in this parking lot. And if you, once you, you can't unring that bell once you kind of hear it. And I thought, huh, I wonder if I could apply my skills to all sorts of things, Mm -hmm. not just this theatrical design path. And if you think about it, you have to sensitively think about what are these stories really trying to tell? That's what I do. Like, literally, it's just that simple. I I try and read the thing, and I try and put on my audience barometer. Like, is the thing that we think that we're telling actually the thing that the audience is hearing and seeing and experiencing? And now, the crazy thing is the world has changed, which is that it used to be that theater was performing A, performing B for C. Right? Okay. That's what it is. Definition. A, performing B for C.
0: I want to know what you mean by that.
1: Well, A... Let's just say, in the traditional sense, actors performing B, which is the script or the show, for C, the audience. Okay, thank you. If you break it down like that, that is um, a restaurant. That is, you know...
0: Any experience you can think of. Literally,
1: we're having it right now. And so, and I saw that really early on. Um, I started making work in college that was, you know, breaking the fourth wall and Mm -hmm. blurring the lines between performers and, and the audience and I went through this entire experience. Then at the end of it, my professor gave me a book about Richard Schechner's, like experiences and happenings and pop-ups in the 60s. And I was like, just so you know, you didn't invent it, but I want you to be aware that that was amazing how you found it uh-huh. yourself and you thought you invented it. Uh-huh. And the truth is, now the thing about the world changing is advertising is no longer really effective in the way that if you get the right 12 people tweeting about something, they could sell more products than a 30-second spot on right. television. And also brands and intellectual properties and people who have stories to tell who used to sort of tell plastic trade showy versions of their – Right,
0: in their booth.
1: Now they're doing it through story. So theater, A, performing B for C, is literally everywhere. The Super Bowl used to be a football game. Then it was the commercials mm-hmm. and tweeting about it. Then it was the halftime show. And now if you go to the arena, there are like 7,000 experiences. Throw like a quarterback, catch like a right, wide receiver, you know. Right. And the whole world is becoming immersed. You know, people want to say, oh, Sleep No More made immersive theater. Right. Totally not true, right? Immersive theater is like go walk down the sidewalk in New York City. Right, or go and to New
0: Orleans for two seconds. Forget and it. Tar- yeah. I mean, God. Yeah.
1: And so not
0: to uh, diminish Sleep No More's
1: impact. Not at all, but you know, I think it was like many people's first time and mm-hmm. so they remember it so sure. interestingly and phenomenally, but the truth is it's been happening for years and years and years. And so I just think about telling stories like that as completely and as holistically as possible, and I have a good sense of what everyone's task is, you know, what the director the pressures on the director are uh-huh. and what their job is, and oftentimes I act as a co-conceiver and then I back away and I make the space and then I come back in later in the process and say like here are three thoughts and I've been doing it for such a long time that I think the people who are interested in my contribution being that way have just kept calling me Um, because
0: you're a good collaborator for them
1: it's it's really the only game in town that we do I mean everyone anyone can make a space but I think when you're I mean Tommy Kale said it uh about like you this foxhole mentality and who you want in the foxhole with you this creative and artistic foxhole and i think that i try my best to be a good soldier and sometimes that means you know covering the other person and sometimes that means digging the hole deeper and sometimes that means calling for backup and sometimes that means giving thoughts and i used to send notes after a tech rehearsal here are my thoughts please take none of them please take all of them i don't care and they were Directing notes, chore- <laughs> choreography notes, writing notes, you know, costumes.
0: So you were writing about the whole, not just your department as well, it were. If
1: you're going to sit in tech. For and many, of, many days, you know, yeah.
0: But how was that received?
1: Once it was by a, uh, wait, once it was, rece- <laughs> let me say it again. <laughs> it was- <laughs> One time it, <laughs> it was-, was received like literally, how fucking dare you? hmm How Dare You. Do you want to say who that was? I don't. Little known fact. The person is currently nominated for a Tony Mm -hmm. for their work in, no, um, it's true.
0: The Tony nomination is true, but we're not going to, but fans can try to guess and they can win something.
1: No, Uh, no, no, and we're not going there. But it was a how dare you. And Mm -hmm. at other times it was, oh, could you keep? doing that thats really helpful that, uh, and also and sometimes it was i'm so in deep i appreciate it maybe i'll look at it maybe i won't yeah and that's why i would always preface like take it or leave it like yeah i'm just doing this because i'm sitting here
0: so can i ask you just to because you're a confident competitive person <laughs> which is not no one should feel shame in being confident or competitive when it wasn't received well did you stay up all night feeling terrible or were you okay? A friend is asking.
1: I um, I don't really stay up all night,
0: so you do not worry about. But I was light. not
1: okay. By you were the not way.
0: okay, so you slept. No, you no, didn't it feel hurt good. me
1: because here was a person who hired me. You know, someone asked me yesterday about like, what's it like to work with Kanye West? That whole thing, and you know, do you get starstruck or do you? And I feel like if a person hires me to do a job. Mm-hmm. They trust me. They want to know my opinion because they could get anyone to do the job. And so I always just go in and I treat, whether they are my exact peers, age, and otherwise, or they're not, um, I treat everyone as an equal collaborator. Mm -hmm. And they, they called me, so they must want this. They can always undo that relationship. But if you're going to ask, here I am. So I felt hurt in that moment because... I was like, I said to you, you don't have to even read this yeah, email. Yeah, the preface you know? was pretty clear. And so to do, give me the how fucking dare you was right. deep. Yeah. It was like, ugh, I guess we know where I stand there. There we go. Yeah.
0: You had worked with Michael before Dear Evan Hansen. Had you guys worked together either in Williamstown days um, or on... Yes. Okay. I, I had...
1: I, you know, it's funny. I had only designed one other show for him. He had come to me a few times and we couldn't work out the schedule, but right. I worked on... I actually was assistant on many shows that he had directed, so we sort of knew each other.
0: Okay. Do you remember your very first conversation with him about Dear Evan Hansen and who else was present at the first meeting
1: my very first conversation with him about the show, because actually my first conversation about the show was with the producer, okay. which was interesting. Um,
0: which one? Uh,
1: Stacy Mendich, okay. And she called me and said, I've been championing this musical. I want you to do it. We're getting Michael. And... Um, a lot of the play takes place in a youthful world of social media, and I think that you have an interesting take on it when you come to this reading. And then I spoke to Michael, and Michael just said, I'm thrilled that you're doing it. I can't wait to have a conversation. Let's not have any conversations until we do uh, this reading. And so we sort of – that was my first conversation, but that's not a real conversation. Right.
0: But, like, let's table the creative conversation till after right. the reading.
1: So I went to the reading, and actually this almost never happens. Um, I went to the reading, and I folded up an 8 by 11 piece of paper into sixteenths, like Fold, 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 and you I made a fortune cookie. I made a fortune cookie. L O V E. And then I and then I sat there and sketched sixteen different thumbnail sketches of just like moments in the show and thoughts that I was having, sort of like a just an artist response to the thing. Remember me? A. I can't draw, and B. I wasn't even looking at the piece of paper, so it's right. not so good. Right. And that was like let's say a Thursday. Um, we Michael and I were going to meet on the following Tuesday. On Tuesday, I opened up the piece of paper. And I said, here, I mean, and these sketches are probably, I don't know, two inches by a half inch. Um, And I said, here are uh, 16 different things. And he put his finger on one of them and said, I like that one. We should do that. And it is a sketch that is of a circle with a little bed on top of it, like a little tectonic plate with a bed and about seven or eight rectangles and squares like a wind chime over this bed and it was this idea of a floating tectonic plate of warmth in this technological sea of landscape and um he was like that and what's weird about that is that's what the show is Mm -hmm. and we that was literally our due north and we sort of said okay well do we need other Lily pads, yeah. Do we need other stuff? Like, how yeah. many screens are there? And that was strange because it's completely unlike the process of Hamilton or b- basically every other show that I've ever done, where you never start with, like, here's a thing, let's do it. But that was really amazing. And that Michael either loved it so much or trusted me so much or a combination. But we just did that, and he put his finger on that piece of paper, and then we started.
0: And that's day one.
1: That was day one, and that was day one. And that's and- sweet.
0: Little Bed is the centerpiece of that show. I
1: mean, it's – and, uh, you know, part of the charm is that the drawing is terrible. Yeah. But when you look at it, it literally – I mean, that sketch, we literally manifested that into reality. And now that's the show, um, basically. And, wow. You know, that – also, sometimes you don't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. You know, by the way, I have many collaborators who make you suffer every – even if you say it's this perfect sketch. Right. um, And then you have to basically – prove that every other idea in the entire world is not going to work in order to come back to that sketch. What was brilliant about that process was he approved it, he liked it, and we started. We immediately could move into model form, other renderings, other sketches, and and we sort of went straight down the road towards it. Right,
0: to that remarkable set. To that thing, yeah. Which also, you know, I, I feel like many people, whether they have the privilege of seeing the show in person or at this time... YouTube can kind of present parts mm-hmm. of it or bad fan films of it. You know, the last moment too. When did you know what the last stage picture would be?
1: Well... Because
0: it's so profound.
1: Yeah. I've always been... Um, it was an early lesson that I learned. I I have like seven big ideas about design and okay. one of them is a revelation of space. huh. Um, and in fact, I did a not good had ex-Broadway talk about um, about it, and I called it Revelation of Space. Can I wor- disagree
0: with you, having watched it? I, I don't think it's not good at all. I thought I've walked around thinking about my life and design constantly since I watched that, oh. how, how I, as a non-designer... I'm actually the designer of my life. And right. I thought what you said in that TED talk and maybe you're you know, it's hard for us to watch ourselves, I thought it was profound. So I'm gonna disagree well, with you. Well, thank you for that. I you're mean welcome. I
1: listen, about the Ted Talk, I actually think the kernels of the idea are really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think what I do is a tactical problem. I say, I'm gonna do three things and then I do three other things mm-hmm. and I go back, Isn't that cool? Yeah. And so the really smart people who have given me notes, not that I'm saying you're not smart, are like, you should fix that and then you could really Do it have again. something yeah
0: I am not drinking smart water right now, right. which is why. But I'm talking about how I respond to something, which is the feeling of the thing, right. not being right or point. You know, like that's a different conversation. Everything can be made better.
1: Totally. You're right. You're right.
0: But- The the takeaway from that is beautiful and poetic. Well, thank you. I will not let you disagree with that.
1: Thank you. Now go on. How did we get on the TED Talk? (laughs) Because I said that, and then what happened?
0: Well, you were talking about revelation.
1: (gasps) Oh, right. So the revelation of space, right? So I knew that this world was going to be inky blackness, right, and that all of these little pockets of life were going to kind of expand and contract from within the inky darkness of the show.
0: Of Evan Hansen. Of Evan Hansen. Yeah. And
1: and. The thing is, all of those environments are very man-made. And the whole show is about, you know, pushing out into the world, potentially, this idea of an organic orchard. And so I just knew that if we could somehow pierce through the darkness and deliver, because that show is emotionally, you know so beautiful, so impactful, has so many emotional on-ramps for people. And also, you need to not kill people and walk out feeling horrible about themselves so they can really reflect on the thing that they just experienced. And so I thought to deliver a moment of hope, um, if we could pierce through that darkness with something organic, uh, it would be pretty powerful. And so, again, everyone's a sucker for revelation of space. If you Mm -hmm. define a world as immovable and then at the end you move it, um, so we just simply open up the back wall and we deliver this orchard, which are you know real plants. Mm-hmm. And when they show up, I mean, I sometimes you think you can feel the air in the theater get cold, went because of like the airflow, and you just you feel like you're outside because you see a blue sky and some clouds yeah. and trees. And after seeing only rectilinear shapes and only dark man-made digital imagery. For two and a half hours, it changes you. Literally, you just feel differently. And so, I knew that it would be so great to like. Also, the the play is well made in that we cut to a year later. Yeah. And so, um, it's quite a palate cleanser, and then it's very um, transporting. I think, and it was the it was an invitation to be able to give people a moment of contemplation. To build it in for them during the show, yeah, and then allow them to walk out into the uh, into the world, thinking, "Oh, right now I can understand and process what I just saw." Because I think if it was unending darkness, we wouldn't have had that success. And to Stacy's credit, the producer's credit, we took a very circuitous route to Broadway, and now on a national tour, we started in D.C. and she saw the Orchard and fell in love with it. And when we went to Second Stage, which is a tiny yeah. postage stamp footprint, she said. I do not care what it takes. We have to get that orchard. You know, because there's a whole lot of like, well, we could like slide things on or we could have a projection. And she was like, you have to deliver that.
0: That was the piece de resistance. Part. Yeah. And, yeah. And,
1: and, and you know, that and was And on the tour beautiful. now is
0: that are the live plants and that beautiful totally in. reveal always. I mean,
1: and that's one of those things like that is interesting Um because now I think it's baked into the DNA of the show. Mm-hmm. And I would, I'm would i sure, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, unless it gets cut, uh, um, you know, people will say, well, how could you do Dear Evan Hansen without an orchard at the end? Right. And in fact, there's a million ways you could do it without an orchard, but not our production. Right. Not our production.
0: And so I know you'd work with Tommy before, Tommy Kale. You were in the foxhole with him earlier on yes. other shows. there's a kind of mythology about Tommy and Alex Lackmore and Lynn Manuel Lynn Manuel Miranda. I, it, I hadn't heard the name until I researched you, so it's so hard for me to say <laughs> I know. It. Is it Lynn Manuel Miranda?
1: We call him LMM
0: yes, no, we we on Twitter. yeah. did you feel like that was a fraternity? that was hard to break into, not creatively, but like there's this triumvirate and where do I fit in in that bromance? Well, it's not
1: only a triumvirate, it's really a a, a quad, it's a quad box. (laughs) (laughs) That I invented. Okay, Andy Blankenbuehler is the one that you missed, right? So it's Alex, Andy, Lynn, and Tommy. Yes, the choreographer.
0: That's because I can't say Blankenbuehler. It's too They
1: lovingly call themselves the cabinet. And also they have moments when they go through notes in a process in which they call themselves like Voltron. If you remember that pop culture reference where like all those robots came together to make one super robot. And that is true because they are in a a beautiful collaborative uh, group. So I felt that very... Very palpably, Mm -hmm. because um, they did In the Heights together. Right. And they were... They'd already given birth. ...friends. They had given birth to, you know, a fancy baby. Yeah. And I was busy um, midwifing Mm -hmm. across town doing a show called Passing Strange. and An
0: extraordinary show. And
1: I loved that show, and I would not change that experience for anything except, uh, or period... And I, we would go back and forth and see each other. And I remember going to an early preview when, when In Heights was off-Broadway and then I saw it on Broadway. And and I felt like a tiny pang of like my friends get to all work together. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, like the solo guy, like the new guy over at yeah, Passing Strange. a little
0: lonely over there.
1: And, you know, then I was very happy and overjoyed that I was asked to collaborate with them individually and combinations of the Voltron many, over many different years. times. Yeah. You know, we... Andy and Alex and Tommy and I worked on the Wiz. and then Alex and Andy and Lynn and I worked on Bring It On. And like we we worked on many, many shows. And so at some point in the process, I t- said to Tommy, you know, when it comes time to find a design team for Hamilton, I'd like to throw my hat into the ring. When
0: that was still being readings up at New York Stage and Film yeah. and workshops yeah. and all and, that. And
1: yeah. and like the and the truth is I felt a little bit like is it weird for me to ask that? Like, right. I don't really go and solicit work because I kind of feel like if they want me, they know how to, they know where I live. Um, but in that case, I was like, these guys are my friends and also my frequent collaborators, and I should just go ahead and ask, right? You know, at least to be considered, or you know, because I have a, I, like, I'm a big boy. Someone could say, you know, what that job is taken, and I could say, shame, okay, okay. yeah. Um, and it had nothing to do with what the the supposed success or the theoretical success that the show would have, because no one could have anticipated this.
0: When you wanted to throw your your fedora into the ring, yep. had you seen a reading or a workshop, or had you just heard some songs, or did you just hear them talking about I it? I think
1: the first time uh, I actually asked Tommy about it, and I think I only asked him once. Mm-hmm. We were um, Tommy.
0: I will only ask you once.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We were at New York Stage and Film, and they were doing in uh, front of the
0: Jocelyn Dorms.
1: We were like in the quad, uh-huh. literally. Uh-huh. And um, I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "We're workshopping." I can't remember which act at the time because I actually think I saw him at, at the the summer when they did the Act One and Act Two. Mm-hmm. And just said, like, uh, you know, when this thing gets put together to become a show, call could me. you could, could yeah call me yeah could you call me yeah. And then when they uh, they did put it together, I got a phone call from the Public Theater, and they said Tommy wants to interview you. And I had a long-standing relationship with the Public; I'd done many shows, and I had done uh, many was shows.
0: Jenny, no, Jenny Gershon wasn't there anymore, but she had been.
1: She was for a she bit. there? She maybe she had just gotten out of there. And then Oscar. And Oscar, was and, the guy. and you know, I had done Here Lies Love, and I had done. Um, uh, Jack Goes Boating, and I had done David Henry Wong's play, Yellow Face, and I did met in Christopher Durang's play, um, Why Tortures Is Wrong, The People That Love Them, and I'd done many, many shows with the public. So I was kind of like, Oscar, this is going to be so exciting to interview. And then I called Andy and I said, you know, anything you can tell me about the show? And I got given the script and the music, and I worked really hard. I mean, yeah. I worked really, really hard to get that job, and I got it. Mm-hmm. And it's not lost on me. That I'm the only new member of the creative team that that did it in the heights, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel very, very lucky. And I also told Tommy in the interview, I will work so hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I will. You know, this is getting back to like, you know, the best part of, of doing the job is getting the job. Yeah, and then, you're then like, you have to oh do God, it. Yeah, no, that's do the this worst. Thing. Exactly. Um, I just
0: want to tell people I
1: got it. But I, but I really feel like you know. It was a vote of confidence. I think that Tommy assembles teams very thoughtfully. Hmm. And he thought, this feels right. I don't know if he was like, hey, we're all young, scrappy, and hungry, um, like the characters in the show. Or what he felt, but I think that he was not throwing me a bone. He was doing it because he felt like I could do this process. But you were wow.
0: not young, scrappy, and hungry at the time that Hamilton came your way. Many of these incredible non theater jobs and artists and operas happened prior to you getting Hamilton.
1: That's true. I mean, you know. I mean, I don't
0: know where Kanye falls in. Kanye in, in was the long before Hamilton. Yeah. You so, know, it's funny you say nothing.
1: that. I, you know. I don't know. I should talk to my therapist about this. But mm-hmm. I, but the truth is, um, I still feel young, scrappy, and hungry mm-hmm. d- deeply. Um, and I remember saying to Tommy, you know, Andy, who I th- had won one Tony Award at that time, you know, felt like he was unsatisfied with his work on Annie and like, you know, had been in had, a
0: vulnerable We place. had had
1: like crazy experiences putting a couple of shows up. And I just felt like no recognition. We just keep like dragging our knuckles across the ground, like going to work, working really hard. I felt really young, really scrappy, and even really though hungry. you
0: had been making a living, a beautiful living as a designer in all sorts of ways for a long time, yeah. yeah, so it's the I mean, artist. it's the artist artist vulnerability that kind of follows you wherever you go. Well, Do you feel differently now? Because I can't imagine there's not a room you walk into or an invitation you don't get that's sort of fancy and affirming. And
1: I mean, you were nominated I, I for feel, a Tony. you won feel a zillion awards. Differently now, mm-hmm. um, I don't feel young. Um, I feel young enough. I'm 41. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting place to be. I am young enough to still be able to deliver cool.
0: Are you guys all around the same age?
1: Yeah, I think Andy might be the oldest. I think Andy's forty-five,
0: uh-huh.
1: maybe forty-six. So we're all right there. I think Lynn is the youngest at thirty-eight. Right. But
0: culturally and and popular culture-wise, you're all no, of we're, the fully same generation yeah, yeah, we're fully peers. Yeah, yeah, we're fully
1: peers. And and I um I feel young enough to still be able to deliver cool things,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I feel old enough to be have accomplished some stuff. so I don't get the kid treatment anymore, but I've always measured success of if you how long you continue to be the youngest person in the room. and um, oh,
0: that's interesting
1: and I feel like at fifty, it, it it's hard to find a fifty year old who is truly often delivering cool mm. only cool mm-hmm. and so at forty one I feel solidly in the middle, but I still feel very young scrappy, and hungry. and I think that is because I aspire to continue to push forward.
0: Can you, you know, I've had a lot of friends uh, who were in Rent, which in yeah. some ways was kind of the, I don't know, predecessors. is the white, right way to describe it, but the first time something took over uh, and and the word zeitgeist was used, right, of a yeah. moment in the theater that transcended what we understood theater could do yeah. and who would respond to it. And Daphne Rubin-Vago was sitting in that chair and she was like, I'm going to misquote her, but it was so beautiful. It was something like, I am aware of the impact Rent has had around the world, and it is almost too much for me to comprehend. But so all I will say is thank you.
1: I mean, listen, I. You're it's, like it's thank interesting. You. Yeah. For, well, first of all, I I like Daphne. I would say thank you to the whole wide world mm-hmm. and every single person. Um, I I have to say the the thing about the Hamilton ride is first of all i know it's special and it is not lost on me not one second it has dramatically changed my life and everyone who's worked on its lives and also everyone that bumps into it i saw an interview once with um george harrison and george someone said to george harrison like what's it like to be a Beatle?" Uh-huh. and he said well what's it like not to be a Beatle?" And, you know, I'm not comparing us to a Beatle, but I – Lynn's a Mm Beatle, you know. And um, the truth is I don't know another experience other than having been involved with Hamilton. And what I can tell you is it is um, profound and it has become a kind of national trust and – I can't believe that I'm involved in it. And also, I really do know how the sausages got made, and I really do know how every set of brick of that got put together. And I remember when we were doing Motown, Barry Gordy said to me, you know, this vicious circle of fame and fortune, you know, most people don't round all the bases. Okay. You know, look at Michael Jackson, look at Whitney yeah. Houston, look at yeah. all these people who like get close and don't fully turn the corner. And he said when people get famous and rich and powerful, they are allowed to become the person who they really are. So if you're a total mensch, you're more of a mensch and generous. And if you're a butthead, you become more of a butthead. And I got to say, it's been interesting because this group of people have governed themselves with grace and beauty and... I remember when we did the show and it became, you know, a thing. And then we went to Chicago and it was like insane in Chicago. We could go to a restaurant and, you know, 15 minutes later, someone was like huffing and puffing and running up to the table. And it was like the owner of the restaurant who had been called that the Hamilton creative team was there and like had driven in from Evanston. Yeah. You know, it was like insane. Yeah. And I got to say that everyone is a really good person. Mm-hmm. Truly. And um, that's been the greatest part of it. The what I'm most proud of, the creating of Hamilton, is it's a perfect collaboration. You really can't tell where Andy's choreography gives way to the set design, mm-hmm. and where the set design and the direction give way to the choreography, and the lighting design creates architecture. And Paul, Ta- I mean, the work and the
0: costumes is and, really, yeah.
1: and it's you know, and we worked really, really hard. That's a testament to. Tommy as the, I call him Thumbardi, the the theater Lombardi, yeah, you know, kind of that coach um, atmosphere for like a team that he puts together.
0: Well, what is that? how? Give me an example. How does he do that?
1: Well, some directors are incredible at casting. Some are incredible dramaturgs. Some are incredible um, visual auteurs. Some are, you know, Tommy's a combination of many of those things, but what he is the best at is creating a group of people who are all included and singular in their goal and vision. And you cannot have a design meeting with him in which he doesn't call you three minutes later or text you to check in or ideate on an idea. Or he just creates this atmosphere where he gives you the roadmap and here's where we're going to go and this is how we're going to do it. And he leads through like real inclusivity. And, you know, the truth is he's like the Lynn Whisperer. And he might not roll into a, a design meeting with, okay, I was thinking about it all night and it needs to be this thing. And he might not look at the rendering or the models and say, here are my 45 notes. Right. But what he does is arbitrate taste beautifully. And he puts people in a room who are incredibly high quality, and then he lets them do what they're really badass at doing. Uh-huh. And that's hard. So it's a, it's a beautiful collaboration. And then it's also a collaboration of people who we all at the top of their game in that one moment. And that really came through. And, you know, it didn't hurt that every single person, whether it was a pop culture icon or a political icon right. or literati or intelligentsia or the regular person, all thought it was the greatest thing in the whole wide world. Yeah. And so, you know, phew, There it is.
0: So how do you maintain this in there's how many tours are out right now? I
1: think we have five companies.
0: So it's the same set? Yeah. And you just make you duplicate it? We do. I mean the the touring
1: one has some soft walls. I mean the trick to the Hamilton touring proposition is that we all really like what we did. Mm-hmm. We're all really proud of what we did. And my goal is that if my mom saw it in another city, she would think it's the exact same set. Uh-huh. And so, and there's the, an
0: orchid at the end. David, yeah, exactly. it was so confusing. <laughs> I
1: love how you made my mom so Jewish and so Brooklyn. y And, <laughs> and you she's nailed not it. one bit. She's she is Jewish and from Brooklyn, but she has a Massachusetts okay. accent. Don't even get me started. She, um,
0: I I cannot it, do a Massachusetts accent. You saved my life.
1: It's probably better for all of okay. us. Okay. Um. But the but the that's the goal. And also because the set kind of stands for permanence, right? It's about building a foundation of a country in this kind of big. um, That's tricky to engineer because it's got to like go in in eight hours. You know, I to like close on a Sunday and open on a Tuesday. Do you use
0: that little pop-up one that we can buy? (laughs) You know what? We're going to put the pop-up set on everyone's lap. Just enjoy the By the the way, that
1: pop-up one was my idea for an opening night card. And uh, it took, you know, instead of four days to develop, it took four months to develop. And I only could afford to make one. Right. And I sent it to Jeffrey Seller. And he was like, he called me. He was like, what is this thing on my desk? It's beautiful. We should sell it. It's amazing.
0: Well, that's why he's an amazing producer. I know.
1: I was like, I, I okay. failed. Merry it's actually, Christmas. it's a fail. Yeah. I was like, I'll give it to you next year. <laughs> um,
0: oh, good. Someone else is going to make them now. Yeah. Perfect. But that,
1: but that's actually the, the thing. Talk about integrity. I'm trying desperately not to say this is the you know other production of Hamilton like right. the Broadway in quotation mark production of Hamilton I'm trying to deliver we are all trying to deliver the Broadway production of Hamilton right and I think we have a responsibility to try and do that so but putting it does the tour have together, to fold
0: up and go in a truck yeah, at the end of the day
1: yep it does but you know, you're doing it. Yeah, we're doing it.
0: And anyone who sees it anywhere in the world is going to feel like they're seeing the real Hamilton.
1: Yeah, and and that is um, a testament top-down. You know, we were like, we can't, like, what are we going to do, not do the turntable version? I'm right. sure, you know, eventually, at the end of our run, we'll be like, you know, bus and trucking it with no turntable, but... Let's hope that doesn't happen. For the actors can
0: walk in a circle. It's true. Even if the stage That's is how not they moving. staged
1: it before we ever got to the Now when we rehearse Hamilton, we do it on a turntable, we have it in the rehearsal space. Okay. But but they staged it literally with the idea of a turntable with no turntable. That was a big moment. We actually got Tommy and Andy and a couple of actors down to the public theater. And Leslie the was tur- like,
0: whoa. No,
1: Well, there was that. And that makes for a couple of good videos. Check yes. out the Instagram account. We throw those up every once I in a will. while. But the truth is the moment, which is so fascinating, is Andy staged the show with Tommy in a cyclical way, thinking about the turntable. Right. And then we got, it was, I think, it was January 3rd. There were no actors. Uh, we weren't yet set to come into the theater for another week or so. This
0: is at the public. At
1: the public. And we went down. It was like day or two after New Year's Eve, freezing cold. We turned on the turntables, and we did the choreography, and it looked terrible. Mm. I mean, it looked really not so good. And we had this moment where I was like, Andy, why don't you try every other person moving, or just let the turntable do the work? and it wasn't until we allowed that kind of seamless collaboration to happen did we realize oh right it still looks that's beautiful. what we were thinking about yeah. so then what was great is Tommy and Andy could go back into rehearsal and kind of reset it thinking With about the movement yeah neither of them had worked on a turntable before it was a, i mean but that was like this moment and i've sort of compared it it's like I, like, gave them Lincoln Logs, and they bought, built, like, a rocket ship. Right? I was like, I was expecting a log cabin. Yeah. And you're like, oh, hang on a second. Let me show you what we can do with this. Oh, I was like, oh. You're
0: like, I knew that all along. What's
1: up, Rube Goldberg? <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I got it.
0: <laughs> well, David, it's very heady to sit down and, and talk with someone who has the personality and warmth of someone I feel like I went to summer camp with. I
1: know, totally. And
0: the brain and vision of... Da Vinci and Albert Einstein and and Frank Lloyd Wright. So it's it's kind of an amazing thing to be in your presence. And I just want to thank you for your generosity on every level and for making things that um, my children, your children, and many generations to come are going to grow from. And it's really phenomenal. And... um, I don't know. I, I just let the hope record you'll come show back. that I'm under the desk again. He's under <laughs> like, the desk. Yeah. Thank uh, you. This, you're is, this is an,
1: an honor to um, hang out and talk about this because uh, you're good people, and I feel like we did go to summer camp. But also, uh, I mean, I just love what I do. Yeah. You know, I really do, and I feel passionately about the people who I work with, and so it's cool to just hang out and talk about it.
0: Well, I hope you'll come back and just tell me what's next.
1: So in when the you th- go back
0: to work right now, what are the like ten things on your desk that are waiting for you? Um
1: In the, in the theater world, uh, I am um, doing Beetlejuice the musical, which is going to start in DC, and it's a, a you know it's based on the Tim Burton movie, and it's pretty. I mean, I never use this word to describe a show, but it's delicious. Uh-huh. It's really uh, so pretty much phenomenal. Fun. Yeah. Um, and then in the non-theater world, uh, you know, I'm the creative director for the Hamilton exhibition, which is this twenty Hamilton the Hamilton, um, hashtag Hamilton. Yes. Uh, the yeah the you know it's a twenty seven thousand square foot fully immersive three hundred and sixty degree you know habit trail experience through the life and times of Alexander Hamilton. Wow. Uh, you know, told with Lynn as your acoustic guide. So um, it's a huge project. It's like doing uh, 20 sets fully um, immersive and putting them all together in a jigsaw puzzle and then, you know, putting that in a building that we're going to build and then figuring out how to move that. So if we can't pull that off, you know. I have an
0: idea for you. I have a really good idea how to do it. I'll tell you after. Okay,
1: good. Perfect.
0: (laughs) I got this. Take that worry off your shoulders.
1: (laughs) Whew, thank you. A lot thank is you.
0: here to save
1: day. <laughs> thank you. Yes. So, and, and you know, 44 other things.
0: Okay. Well, good luck with all of them. Thank you. Thank you for being here, David. Thank you this for having was me. This great. You're welcome. Thank you. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hanger Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.